Welcome to The Mushroom's Apprentice. A very happy new year to you. To launch this year, I am sharing two prior recordings of a conversation I had with my dear friend, Venice McNeil, who is the producer of the series, Magical Egypt. Well, back in 2021, Venice and I recorded two episodes for a podcast that we called The Bright Knowledge. We were hoping to keep going with this and both our schedules just did not support it at that time. Well, I listened to those episodes recently and I thought they would be a good opening for this year. So in the first hour, we discuss sunlight, light therapy, and water. And there's a lot of good information there. The second hour begins with a poetic transmission that I shared, and that launched the conversation where we talked about getting your mind right, working with an archetype for healing and growth, the virus of fear, initiation, and so much more. It is a fun, dynamic conversation. And I thought it was a good intro into the new year. So I do apologize for the sound on my end in this recording, because at that time, I was using a very old computer and it was way past its prime. But you still get a good flavor of the conversation. So I thought I would share it and, and I hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Shona Home. And I'm Venice McNeil, and this is The Bright Knowledge. Well, Shada, I'm very excited to talk to you again. It's been a long time, sweetie. And I want to know, what are we talking about today? You always come up with the best topics. Well, today we're going to talk about water and consciousness and also sunlight. Huh. So essentially, the healing that people are looking for is right outside the door. <laughs> Of course it is. I mean, like, <laughs> everything we've been told is a lie, my dear, isn't it? Gosh, yeah. like, if you think about it, uh, I don't remember all of our ancestors for the last zero zillion thousand years dying from sunshine. No, no. But it's just so interesting, right? Because we've been told for so long that the sun is dangerous, and you better use your sunscreen and avoid the sun from 12 to 2 because that's when it's the strongest and you'll get a bad sunburn and all this kind of thing and I've always been a sun worshiper and I have to say and I did use the lotions when I was younger but then I just stopped and that was probably 15 years ago or longer and I would just use coconut oil or olive oil and I bet you smell delicious yeah. <laughs> and you know I realized that oh yes it can be aging to your skin but I I, I mean I don't know I don't know I mean I'm look I'll tell you what's interesting in Australia they have a campaign that's been going on for decades and it's called slip slop slap slip on the sunscreen slop on your hat right and it comes from a myth, a literal lie that was created. It is, it's a conspiracy theory, but it's been proven true. The Australian government told us that there was a hole in the ozone layer. Oh, yeah, that we that. Yeah, and it's been proven a lie, right, since then? <laughs> yeah. It was a lie developed by the people that um, 
produced spray can because their patent on spray poison was running out and they needed to get people off of it while they renegotiated the whole situation. So it was a business uh, lie, right? That And now even today, if you go to, which is where the land of sun, if you go to a cafe or a restaurant and I'm like, I'll go because I want to sit in the sun and have a glass of wine and uh, there'll be a table in the sun and I'll say, oh, yes, please, that one. And they're like, oh, no, that's in the sun. You don't want that. Australians won't sit in the sun. They they are under shades, hats. I mean, Australians are absolutely petrified of the sun. In the land of the sun. Well, those Australians should read John Ott's book, Health and Light. And I got John Ott's name from Dr. Jack Cruz, who is all about sunlight and how incredibly beneficial it is. And, and so I got this book and it's been just blowing my mind. And I think it was, it was written in the seventies, I think. And John Ott was a photographer who he was photographing plants. So it, he would have them growing in kind of a studio, which was in his basement. So he'd have artificial lighting and he was you know, trying to photograph the plant from, you know, uh, uh, the bud to the flower and, you know, the whole uh, life cycle. But he was finding that, oh, wait a second, the male part of the pumpkin, uh, the female uh, blossom, came about, but the male blossom just wilted and died. Wait a minute, what's going on here? And he realized, oh, he's got the wrong lighting. So he was, through all of that, discovered this broad spectrum of, of uh, light waves, right? And so it's not just sort of one light, there's all these different types of, of light. And of course, sunlight has the whole spectrum within it. And, and then moonlight as well. So there are certain plants that need that, that moonlight. And, and in any case, so all of this has an effect on us. And speaking of, of, of staying out of the sun and covering up, he says also that the light for us to receive the health benefits, it has to come through the retina of the eye, which means no sunglasses. Interesting. And he even spoke to to that in his book. And I told you I was so book solid today that I'm not sure where exactly that part is. Maybe I could find it, but he talked about, oh yes, I just found it. Okay. Okay. Then I half jokingly, he was having a conversation with a woman about, I guess, light. And he, he said that I half jokingly asked her if any of the natives wore sunglasses. And so these natives, I think were, I think this was in India. And, and she looked startled and then told me that the natives paddling their dugout canoes up and down the river in front of the hospital often wore no more than a loincloth. Okay, this was not India. I'm not sure where this was. Anyway, uh, they often wore no more than a loincloth and sunglasses. And indeed, some wore only sunglasses. She further explained that sunglasses represented a status symbol of civilization and education and had a higher bartering value than beads and other such trinkets. There is, of course, no scientific proof of a correlation between the wearing of sunglasses and uh, cancer, but it does raise an interesting question. And so I think this was in the paragraph, the earlier paragraph, that apparently they didn't have sunglasses and there was no cancer. 
And then as soon as they started wearing sunglasses, so of course now they're covering up the retina and it's not receiving the full spectrum of light, cancer rates started to occur. And so um, I am, oh no, this was the West Coast of Africa. I just wanna make sure. Uh, okay, I'll just quickly read. This was the paragraph before. At a dinner given prior to one of my lectures, I sat next to the daughter of the late Dr. Albert Sch uh, Schweitzer. Our conversation dwelt mostly on her experiences as assistant to her father at Lamborghini on the west coast of Africa. I asked her about the rate of cancer of the people in that area, and she replied that when her father had first started the hospital, they found no cancer at all, but that now it was a problem. I asked if the people living there had started installing glass windows and electric lights in their otherwise simple surroundings, and she said that they had not. And then I have jokingly asked if any of the natives wore sunglasses. So she said yes. Because also the regular window glass will yes. prevent certain rays from yes. entering. So I was very lucky. I got to interview Jack. Uh, Dr. Jack Cruz, actually, yes, about not I, a month ago. And uh, we were talking a little bit because he's also big on Bitcoin. So we were talking a bit about light. And what's really interesting about him, and in fact, <laughs> he he left his wife because she would not cooperate with his desire to ensure that his family had access to these rays. That's how that is how critical it is for him. And one of the things that just blows my mind about Jack is that if you look at Jack's been on this light thing for several years. And if you look at Jack before light and after light, it is truly remarkable. He's lost tens of pounds and anti aged tens of years. And the only thing that he's done differently is light. And you can see, like, you can see it with your eyes. He used to be very overweight, very puffy, very, you know, and now he's kind of like a Jeffrey Epstein looking guy, but like much more in shape. And you know what I mean? Kind of, you can see his features now where before he was more of a snowball. Like, so it's, it's, and his, when you talk to him like this, he's always, He's always in red. You won't, you won't find a video with him where he's oh, not in red. Yes, I've seen that. And he, another part that he talks about that's very, very important is if we're talking about sunglasses being deleterious, these things, the computers and the phones and the blue light are in fact damaging, damaging to your eyes, damaging to your health. Yeah, I use a screen that prevents the blue light from penetrating. So for what it's worth. But John Ott also talks about the radiation that comes out of the television sets. And of course, it come out of the computer as well. And, and how that has a deleterious effect in, on, on people and, and uh, makes you very tired. And well, uh, if you look at the difference, I mean, I'm, you know, no beauty queen, but if you look at the difference between yes, my husband, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was a long time ago, uh, Chance and I look about 20 years different in age without, without like, for instance, we went and we're having lunch at a place and somebody thought he was my father. And the difference between Chance and I is that Chance is a zombie, uh, not a zombie, a vampire. He goes to bed just before the sun comes up 
and then he sleeps all day and then he works all night in front of these screens, right? And so he literally, you can see him aging. When he gets out of bed, he's creaky like an old man. He can't walk properly. And it's all because he's been doing this for 20 years, right? And it's it's literally killing him. So on the advice of Jack, I bought him a red light to put by him while he's working. And here's something that's very interesting. I just got diagnosed with glaucoma and I had uh, very, very high pressures in my eyes. And I met a woman who told me that she went and she uh, went and did three sessions with red light on her eyes and she didn't realize that it had any impact on her eyes at all but she had when she went to the eye doctor the eye doctor's like uh what have you done your prescription is now better than what it was normally it's supposed to get worse right and they always make your glasses stronger they had to pull her glasses back so my pressures were like 30 and um I had to go to the eye specialist. So I thought, look, what the hell? I'm just going to go and do three sessions. And I did three sessions in a red light booth and I went down from 30 to 27. So I went down three points in three days of pressure. And red light is one of the things, well, glaucoma is one of the things that red light impacts. So I am a huge I'm trying to figure out, <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to figure out how do I do my job out in the sunshine? Like, I don't want to be in, you know, like, I mean, I'm very blessed. I have windows here, but still it's filtering that light. Like you talked about. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I want to be a yeah. gardener. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, hear you. I know. I mean, I've been out in my garden because now it's summer in Vermont and it's super sunny and gorgeous and so nice to be here after living in the Seattle area for so many years, which oh, we have sweet. nice summers there, but you know, it's gray and overcast and rainy for like nine months out of the year. Right. So this is, this is amazing. And I've been getting just sun every day. And especially now that I've been listening to Jack Cruz and, and, and reading John Ott's book, I mean, I was never, I would never really wear sunglasses because in Seattle would be, you know, the clouds would come and I was like, oh, screw it. So I, I would say, forget it. But now I'm really soaking up the sun. And also Dr. Cruz talks about how you want to be out there early in the morning as the sun is coming up till about 10 a.m. That that's a specific kind of light. And then again, at the end of the day, and then between 12 and two is when you're going to absorb the most vitamin D, but you don't have to be out there for two hours. You can be out there for 20 minutes. And, and I just thought it was so interesting that last year with all the COVID stuff and, you know, and I, I, when everyone was in sort of WTF land, you know, in March, like what's going on. And then they were like, stay indoors, you know, and wash your hands. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm like, stay indoors. That's insane. Like you need to be outside in the fresh air and yeah. sunlight. Like, that's just like common sense. Well, everybody says, you know, we go on vacation and we feel so fabulous when we're on vacation, right? We do. We just feel better. And what are we doing when we're on vacation? We're literally outside all day yeah. when we're on vacation. It's probably the only times, maybe on the weekends, you know, if you've got kids and you have to go and watch them play sport, you'll be outside. But for a lot of people, the only time that you get to spend all day in the sunshine is on vacation and you feel so vibrant. So Chance also did these three sessions with me, you know, on the red lights. He was, he did them himself and he 
had so much more energy and I'm talking three sessions sweetie like so much more energy so much better mood so much better sleep and so we have organized our life in such a way that I mean the people that work in small offices with fluorescent lights I my heart bleeds well okay that's interesting you would say that because that's something else that John Ott speaks to and so those are those fluorescent lights are deleterious to your your health and and then they'll do them in different tones like there's like a pinkish tone like a warm tone that's horrible for you and you can go on YouTube and type in John Ott OTT and there's a fantastic documentary about his work and in it they talk about this uh, elementary school where they had those kind of fluorescent lights in two of the classrooms and that particular school had rates of leukemia in children that were the highest in this country in the US. And, and so they were trying to figure out what the heck was going on. And, and all the children who were getting leukemia were from these two particular classrooms in this school. Well, the teachers were keeping the, the curtains shut so that there wouldn't be a glare from like the glass building outside. So they kept the curtains shut in these classrooms. And then these children were just under these like pinkish toned fluorescent lights. And, and the rate, you know, they, they got leukemia. And then after a while, both teachers went off to teach somewhere else. And I guess the curtains were open and also the bulbs were changed away from that to, I guess, regular fluorescent bulbs, which are not well, great. I hear those energy saving lights are even worse. Like when way back in my other life, when I did marketing and advertising, I was involved at the time when the government of the United States was pushing energy saving bulbs on people, right? And there were all kinds of deals and packages and get your whole house done in these energy saving bulbs. And it turns out in retrospect, surprise the government was wrong and these bulbs are incredibly harmful and honestly incandescent if you're going to do a bulb those old incandescent bulbs the ones that give off heat are really the best ones for you yeah those are the only ones i have in my house are the incandescents and you have frozen so i hope you still have a connection Denise, you're totally frozen yes I was just looking at you. We can cut this. Don't worry. I'll cut that. But it was like, I'm like, <laughs> oh, Lord. I'm like, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So those bulbs are really bad for you. But yeah, sorry, darling. The, uh, no, the okay. incandescent bulbs are great. The old ones. Yeah. 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 That's what I, 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 I bought a whole bunch of them. And so that's what I, I use in my, in my home. The LEDs are no good either because they vibrate very, very quickly. And so it's Flicker. really disruptive to. It's funny because we used to say, don't read your, you know, your books by candlelight. When I was a kid, my mom would say that to me. And my grandmother who lived to 98 when she, cause she was born in 1898, right? Turn of the century. And so for the first part of her life, she was reading by candlelight at night and sewing by candlelight at night and cleaning by, you know what I mean? And her eyes were fabulous even till the time she died. So, yeah. Amazing, isn't it? Like you were saying before, everything we've been told is a, it's a ball-based <laughs> lie. 
it's basically the opposite. I mean, I've learned this, like whatever they tell you, just do the opposite. You'll be good to go. Exactly. So. Yeah. I mean, isn't that insane? I had an 18 year old girl. In fact, the girl that ran the booth, the red light booth, she was 18 years of old age, 18 years old. And she is in a state of complete anxiety. And I'm like, I, I, I feel so much for these young people today, right? And I basically told her that. I said everything, because she's asking me questions about thing, current news things that are kind of, you know, questionable. And I said to her, sweetheart, look, this is one of the lessons that I've learned in life is that everything that you hear in the news and in the school, check it, because there's a really, really good chance that it's the exact opposite of what the truth is. And her mouth drops, but I'm like, I've learned everything I've been told is a lie, you know, and she's just like, wow. And I hope it helps her a little bit, you know, to kind of, it, that gives you power at least. It gives you power to investigate things that are kind of giving you cognitive dissonance so that you can go out there and see what you can find for yourself. Because yeah. I think that is a bit of a problem is that like, I remember, you know, like, I, how can the sun be bad? I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, put sunscreen on. And even then I was like, this doesn't make sense. But then you're, oh, you're going to get burned. And then you do get sunburned, right? And so you're kind of like, oh, maybe there's something to it because sunburn is real. <laughs> yeah, those moderation, right? I mean, it's, you know, do moderation, build up a base, whatever. I think, you know, my friend and I were talking this morning and she was talking about how being suspicious of the government is, that's like the foundation for this. That's the foundation. Like, let's just, you know, that, that, that that's a healthy, <laughs> you know? And, and I will say that in the States, there is something called the Smith-Mundt Act, M-U-N-D-T, the Smith-Mundt Act. And I think that was enacted in either the 40s or the 50s. And it was saying that the government cannot do propaganda on its people, N-O, right? Because they'll do propaganda through whatever means, through entertainment and music and news, of course, right? And so that was reversed uh, at some point in one of the later the, uh, administrations. Sure. And so- sure not going to say which one but in any case put this <laughs> first and so and of course it's very obvious for anyone who has any critical thinking skills that that this is it's just propaganda non-stop and it reminds me also of like having an abusive boyfriend who what do these guys do it's it's textbook they isolate you because they don't want you talking to your friends. They don't want you getting any information that contradicts their narrative. And they just fill your mind with this 24 seven until you're just, you know, that's all you know, you're under their spell. And that's similar to a cult as well. <clears throat> and so, and also when you're in this level of fear that people are in, it lowers your immune system. Yes. And, and of course, makes it impossible to access the higher order thinking. And so, so yeah, 
But, but Look, truly- I think honestly, Jack talks about the immune system too. I think Jack talks about light. Like Jack talks about like the energy system of the body, something about ATP. And I'm not good at all the medical stuff, but there's something about the energy systems of the body. And then there's something also about the immune system, right? Oh, it's, it's effect. I think the sunlight affects the flora, right? And yeah. the flora affects the immune system, right? So by cutting off, by keeping people inside, uh, which they did in Australia as well. You know, people went out for walks and police like knocked them over and things. It was like ridiculous, right? Drag them back inside. But um, but but by actually doing that, you're harming the immune system because light is one of the things that promotes it. So yes, it's it's there's a lot of a lot of kind of craziness there. Yeah, yeah. I, we're designed to be out in the elements. And, and we're also designed to be out in sharply changing elements as well, because the immune system will adjust itself to that. And it's like working a muscle. And so if that's, if, you know, it becomes sharply cold, usually now we're indoors, we have our artificial heat, we're, we're in this sort of comfort level. But, but that's also why the, um, you know, the ice cold water is so good for you, the ice, icy plunges. The Wim Hof stuff. It, it, Yes, the Wim Hof stuff, exactly. So they stimulate the immune system. And also what's really interesting is the Wim Hof stuff actually activates part of the brain. Mm-hmm. that has completely shut off for us, right? And, and it is that thing. It's that, that we are built for shocks and survival and, and tigers jumping out at us, right? And there's something about that huge shock that we don't get in our lifestyle today that the Wim Hof water does. It literally puts the brain on, on. So that's another aspect of, well, we're going from water now, but that ice cold water uh, is, inc- and then he has a breathing technique with it. And I've, look, I've watched a couple of the videos and I've played around with it, but I haven't, <laughs> my pool's about Wim Hof temperatures right now. <laughs> so I could go and try it out. But, um, but yes, apparently it's very, very healing and very healing for the whole. I mean, again, he's another guy that looks, you know, 20 years younger than he is and is, can do incredible feats. So it's very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. That brain part of his story is fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, we've been domesticated. We've been domesticated. And so, yeah, and, and we're listening instead of, uh, having information, traditional knowledge passed down, you know, generation to generation, that's mostly gone. Uh, instead of being sort of outside and moving the body and being exposed to the elements, you know, most people are inside with artificial lighting in front of radiation machines, full computers or televisions, that's or whatever. Drinking fluoridated water. Right, exactly. And so... And for GMO food, perfect right. cocktail and taking pharmaceuticals. Yay. I wonder why I'm not feeling so great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the good news though, is that a lot of this can be reversible and, and ultimately it is, it's simply turning our attentions back, our attention back to nature. I, I've been saying like, if you just study nature uh, Victor Schauberger said, comprehend and copy nature. He was speaking in terms of, you know, machinery. No, he's whatever. the water guy, right? Tell us yes. about him because he's fascinating. So tell me about him. Victor Schauberger. Uh, yes. Let's see. He was 
born in Austria to a family of foresters. And I love their, their family motto was faithful to the silent forest. And so he was born in, I think, 1860, something like that. And so he grew up in old growth forests of Austria. And I just can't even imagine how stunningly beautiful that was. And he would sit by the river. I mean, he would just observe and he would sit by the river and he would just watch the water flowing. And he would be so transfixed that he said his consciousness would leave and it would flow away with the water. And when it returned, it returned with information. And so he was in conversation with, with the water. And so what happened was after World War I, uh, there was, I think, a count and his wife, and they owned like a, a huge swath of this forest. And they wanted to bring some of the big old growth logs down to, for heat. And it was like, how do we do this? You know, how do we get these things down here? And so different people, oh, well, first of all, I'll say uh, Schauberger's two older brothers went off to university. And when they returned, he realized their minds have been distorted. So he announced to his father, I'm not going to that university. Nature is my teacher. I'll go to forestry school. His father was livid, but oh well. And so that's what he did. And so this count put out this kind of contest of, you know, whatever engineer could come up with a way to get these, these logs, you know, down from the uh, depths of the forest, I don't know, would, would make a lot of money and whatever. And so Schauberger, actually the guy's wife approached Schauberger because she, she heard about him and he had, I guess, different inventions at the time. And so invited him to participate. And so it was through his observations of, sort of how nature worked. What he noted was uh, water just below freezing. And I think the temperature was something like four degrees Celsius that a log would, it'd be easy to float a log on the water because it's like, it's sort of thickening, right? So, and then it would be even easier if it was a full moon. And, and then also, of course, he noticed that water doesn't go in a straight line and it you know, spirals this one way, it spirals the other way. And so through all those observations, he created these specific flues for the logs to come through. And they did a test run, I think the day before, and it failed. And, and, and so, and he was in trouble because the next day he was going to show this. And, and all these other uh, traditionally or institutionally trained engineers were just laughing and they couldn't wait to watch him fail. Well, he went to kind of figure out what the problem was and he sat by the water. When he went to sit, he accidentally stepped on a snake and I think he sort of picked it up and tossed it into the water. And when it swam away, it swam like this. And so of course the guy's watching and he realized, wait a sec, even going like this, it got to the other side in no time flat. And so he changed the way, you know, these logs would come down. It looked almost impossible, but anyway, not only did it work, they got more logs down than he even imagined, than anyone imagined possible. So now Schauberger was, you know, the talk of Austria. And what ended up happening was he was sent to different areas to talk to those people and sort of teach them how he did it. And to his horror, of course, they used his technology to log the shit out of the forest. And so, you know, and what, I think I saw something about that. They logged it so much that it stopped the rain. So it stopped the river. 
<laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like they basically geoengineered the climate in a bad way. But I think, yeah. you know what I mean? That, that yeah. 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 And so he, at some point had to work for Hitler. He didn't want to. Hitler called him in because he heard about all these different inventions he was doing. And then uh, Hitler explained what he was going to be doing. And, and I believe Max Planck was in the room with him as well, who was a jackass to Schauberger. Uh -huh. But Schauberger said something like, you're going to destroy nature you know, if you carry on this way. And then Max Planck apparently said to him, science has nothing to do with nature. And in well, any case, Schauberger said he wouldn't work for Hitler, but then Hitler said, I'll hang your family. So <laughs> ended up working. I think you like your kids and wife, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. but he came up with flying saucer technology. So with a disc and, and again, just through his studies of nature and I can't explain to you how he did this, but anyway, he was, he was in his laboratory and that thing went like this disc up, flew through the ceiling, up into the skies and never returned. And uh, so after World War II, actually the Russians got to his laboratory first and raided it and then blew it up. So, but Schauberger's story of his life was every time he would invent something, they would weaponize it. Yes, yes. But he was saying the way that machinery is created, he said that's, that's, it's spiraling outward and that's what nature does when it is in the destructive phase. So it's very, it's hot and it's loud and it's destructive. But if you spiral it inward, it's silent and it's cooling. And I think that's what takes him to that zero point as well. And so he understood that he was, he was extraordinary. He, he could create water. Yeah. Like he had the understanding of you could turn a desert into a verdant forest. Um, and he also could cure or fix these sort of dead rivers. I mean, he, he, you know, cause it's not supposed to go straight. It's supposed to flow like, like this. Anyway, there is a fabulous documentary on him on YouTube on Victor Schauberger. And then a fellow named Callum Coates wrote a few really fantastic books on Schauberger. And then I have a few books that Schauberger wrote, but they're really, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, they're very technical. Yeah, but yeah. He was, he was extraordinary and he understood water and he was called the water wizard. And, and so, you know, water has a consciousness. And my friend I was speaking with this morning said, it's really like the Akashic records, like it holds memory. Yes, that's, look, that's a bit, I've always, water has always fascinated me, you know, and I remember one of the very first things I found was a, um, a, a, va a vase that was in an egg shape, not a vase, but a water jug. And it did this to the water. And I remember wanting to buy one, but I was much younger. And it was like $300 for this egg water holder. And that was my first memory of being fascinated by water in general, right? But I've kind of watched all the documentaries and I do find it fascinating. And I have to agree with you. And the Indigenous Australians know know very well that water has memory they absolutely do and there's something connected between the trees because the water goes up through the trees and the saps and the leaves and then it evaporates and it comes down as rain there's a cycle there and the indigenous australians uh believe that the water knows all of us all of our ancestors all of our stories 
You know what I mean? And it contains all of that. And one of the things that blew my mind, as you might be aware, I'm doing a documentary on magic starring Shauna Holm. And <laughs> I was researching water. Uh, no, I was researching ancient Egyptian magic. And I come across this passage by this woman who's absolutely fascinating. Her name is, oh, Om Shanti. And she had a past life memory of ancient Egypt. She was, she died as a three-year-old and came back to life and then had the most vivid memories of ancient Egypt. And she ended up through a series of misadventures working in the temple complexes in ancient Egypt. And she was fascinating because the, the archaeologists would come over and she would like, oh, there used to be a garden there. There used to be a fountain there. There used to be a <laughs> silly woman. And then they dug and they found everything that she said. So she ended up being retained by these archaeologists. But she wrote a section on Egyptian magic. And what she said is what they would do is that the people would come and they would sit with the medical person. And the medical person would essentially figure out what was wrong and then make, for all intents and purposes, a sigil or a talisman or write down in symbolic form the medicine that the person needed, they would put it in a basin of water and they would put it out underneath the stars. And then they would divide the water into three portions and the sick person would take the water three consecutive days and that was the medicine. I think that's just is that like that's ultimate homeopathy, but it was magical medicine for the ancient Egyptians, right? So that's very interesting to me. Yes. And if it could be done then, it could be done today. And think about that. That would turn the conventional medical system on its head, which is why I think in that documentary that we watched called Water Memory. Uh, Jacques Benveniste, who was doing these experiments with water memory, and he was following the scientific method, and he was repeating it over and over, getting the same result. And he Shana, was, tell people about that so that they understand about those experiments, because that is fascinating. It is, yeah, it's amazing. So Jacques Benveniste was a French immunologist, and and so he was, you know, following homeopathy, which is where water, you'll put a little something in water. And then, uh, well, later Luke Montagny would use the AIDS molecule, right? And so then you dilute it, dilute it, dilute it, dilute it many times over until there's no matter left in the water. I mean, it's undetectable. And yet the water contains that, um, it contains the, the signal of, or, or the, the, right, the frequency or the frequency vibration. That's the word I'm trying to think. <laughs> yeah, contains the frequency of, of that. And so, so Jacques Benveniste was doing these experiments with that. And, and, then, and then he would put that test tube of water next to a test tube of sterilized water. And then the sterilized water would test positive for the molecule, right? So, so you know, he was able to duplicate those experiments several times over and was mocked and lambasted and until and really it put him in his grave. Like apparently it was so mean. It was just vociferous. It was awful. And, and so he died. So then enter Luc Montagny, who won the Nobel Prize for isolating the, I guess the AIDS molecule, I think it was. 
And so he has continued the work of Jacques Benveniste. He's had his acclaim, you know, he's been very successful. So now he can uh, do, do this and they can say whatever they want and they do. Uh, but in any case, so yeah, so he did that really fascinating experiment where he took the AIDS molecule, right? And he, he diluted it, diluted it, diluted it. And, and then exposed that to, he didn't even add it to the water. I think he just put the two tests. What I remember together. is he had the, the frequency. He took like almost like the frequency mm-hmm. and then they emailed that frequency to Italy yeah. And then they played that frequency to water in Italy. So basically they teleported through email the AIDS uh-huh. molecule. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that it's, is... It's mind-blowing. If anyone wants to watch the docu- documentary, just type in water memory and you'll get... It, it's under an hour and it is... It's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. And so, but but the the scientifics, they go bananas and they just you know, they want this stuff to go away, which I think is, is very interesting um, because science is like, wait a minute, what happened to the scientific inquiry? You know, like, if, aren't we supposed to be curious and, and want to explore this further? And if it's nonsense, great. I'll tell you what's interesting about that, sweetie, because I actually just wrote an article on this yesterday. Well, not an article, but part of the script, because I'm going to make a connection that's really weird. I went to interview Rupert Sheldrake in London and I had, speaking of those forests, those old forests in Europe, I took a plane flight that ended me in hell and I had to do a race across Europe and I went through all those forests just so that I could catch my next plane to get to Rupert Sheldrake because Rupert Sheldrake was leaving the next day to go to a water conference and if I didn't get there, I, I literally flew there for him. So if I missed this, the whole trip was just null and void, right? So it was like this mad dash and I lost my wallet and all kinds of craziness. But I got there and I interviewed Rupert and he went to the water conference. Now, I'm going to come back to that for a second. But one of the things that Rupert said to me is that science Science is supposed to be a process of being critical and asking questions about certain topics and finding things. And they absolutely do that. But what they don't tell you is that they do it within a container of beliefs and ideas called a paradigm, right? So because of our science today is in this paradigm, a box of materialism, anything that doesn't fit within that box gets bounced out and they only ask questions on things that are allowed in the box, right? And so so that paradigm changes through time, but we happen to be in the most material materialistic paradigm of all time, right? So anything like this is uh, left outside the box and it's hidden and stuffed under the cupboard and it's embarrassing to science, right? So they're like, la, 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 we don't want to hear about it. And I just thought that was really, really interesting because that's what Rupert said. But then Rupert flew off to the water conference and guess who he met there? At the water conference? Jack Cruz. Or... A beautiful young, well, beautiful water mermaid by the name of Veda. Oh, Austin. Veda! Oh, you bet. Oh, wow! Oh, fantastic! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So I so let's 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 talk about her for a second, right? Yeah, you interviewed her, so yes, I just interviewed her yesterday. Veda is fascinating, absolutely fascinating, because Veda picked up the uh, emoto work, right? The emoto crystal work, and um, where uh, basically Doctor Emoto had six photos. I think it was six or eight photos of water under the influence of love and hate and nice music and rock music. And he took eight photos and he was able to show that our intention or our connection or a relationship or our communication with water somehow impacted water's formation in ice to the point that you could take a picture of it and boom, right? It would uh, display its feelings. Well, Veda has a long story and I won't go into all the details, but she's picked up that process and she has done over 10,000. She has over 10,000 photographs of water. So that means she's done over 10,000 experiments. And these experiments include things like she's put a photograph of her best friend under the water and water created almost like a photocopy of the photo right which is just like wow that's like so that means that water sees the photo and is able to recreate it like it's an artist so water is an artist right so then she put a wedding invitation under the water and then the water didn't make a photocopy of the invitation what it did is it created a, an engagement ring, which means that water is not only an artist and photocopy, but water understands the content and then create and understood what we understand is related to that and then created that image to communicate with her. And her work is astounding, just to me, astounding. And, and what I'm left with is the belief that water is sentient and it is so aligned with consciousness that it could be consciousness i'm not sure i'm not sure if there's some intimately connected relationship or whether water is consciousness because everything your little kitty the plants uh we all have everything that has consciousness has water in it right you can't have life without water yeah isn't that just amazing yeah it permeates everything yeah. Then there's yeah. another woman that had a house on a hill and there was a flood and she didn't want to leave the house because she thought she would be flooded in. Right. And she was a, again, I think she was an American indigenous woman and she had to leave, it, you know, this big flood was coming and she had to leave and water was coming down. And so she went up to water and she said, water, I understand that you have to do what you have to do. I respect that you have to do what you have to do. But if there's any way that you could save my house, I would really appreciate it. And so she went off, did her thing, eight hours or 12 hours or whatever. When she came back, the flood had come all the way down the hill, divided in two, separated and went around her house and then came back to one and kept flowing. And that video is on YouTube too. I mean, that is amazing. Yes. Then we have Dr. Patrick McManaway, who is a dowser, and he has worked with wells that have dried up, and he's he's like a, a land whisperer. 
And so he using his, his, his actually not even dowsing rods, he's got a little pendulum. It's like an appendage because he, he doused my land when I first moved here. He's quite amazing. But yeah, he would go to Australia and uh, different parts of the UK, he's Scottish, and, and to the diff different farms where maybe the wells had dried up and then using his, his pendulum, he would communicate with the spirit of the water and then ask if it would like to come back. And then if he got a yes, well then is there something he could offer it? And so he was saying that around the world, there are, and certainly throughout the UK, there are these old traditions of singing to the water, gathering at different times of the year and, and dancing and celebrating and blessing the water. And so we've lost that. But, but so this is what they would do. They would sing to, to the water and he's got these extraordinary stories. One well in, in Australia actually where the water went like sour, like it was just undrinkable. And so they all sang to the water and within five minutes they, they then you know, put their cups in and they tasted it and it was delicious, it was clear. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that amazing? It, it, it so is. So, so when I, he tells your land, right? Uh -huh. So was he looking for water or what was he? No, no, no. He was dowsing, just sort of uh, checking the energy of my land. I had just moved here a month before. And I also wanted to put my labyrinth in. And I actually knew in my mind, I thought, okay, I know where I want this to go. But I, I just asked him if he could douse for the best location. And it was exactly where I was thinking in my mind. And he said, there's a blind spring, you know, just below here. So this would be perfect. And, you know, and then he, you know, took string and markers and whatnot and sort of, you know, laid it out. And then he doused for the correct place to locate my guest cottage, which I haven't built yet. And also showed me where there are underground streams. So he said, you don't want to build your house over an underground stream. It's too yin. The energy is too yin. So uh, it's not healthy for you. And he said that actually birds won't nest on trees that grew over uh, underground streams. So, and trees don't really like it. So I thought that was very interesting. And then of course he doused my house and, and just, yeah. And said that the energy here was really clean. And, and So uh, sweetie, awesome. we were talking about, we believe the water is conscious. I mean, what, so then what's the deal with land? Is land conscious too? You know, I think everything is conscious. And I, I know that our ancestors knew this. They knew this. And they didn't have mind control television and shitty books. And, you know, I mean, they, they were very observant and they would observe the animals. They would observe the stars in the sky. I mean, they were very engaged with the natural world. And then of course, there was the understanding that there were certain spirits that, you know, nature spirits and, and you could form relationship with them. And there was a mutual respect that you wanted to establish. And, and even when building a house, you know, was understood that every house has a spirit and, and you know, you've located in certain areas where the energy felt right. And so we've lost that in this commercial construct that we find ourselves in. 
And, and I think really the industrial revolution was a kind of dark ages in, in, in terms of, you know, it, it shut all of that down. And so we have now these technological wonders, but here we are in about to enter, or we have entered pretty much the fourth industrial revolution, according to Satan Claus. Is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who, I love you know, it. <laughs> well, I didn't make that up. Someone else, Jeff Berwick made that up, but that was pretty funny. That's but great. anyway, uh, but you know, Mr. Klaus and the Schwabians have announced essentially that this is going to be a marriage between biology and technology and digital, whatever, you know, I mean, they're want to create soft robots or something, you know, it's the transhumanist deal. Did you and see they actually announced it on the UK government website just this week? Really? What is yes. Basically that humans are going to merge with technology and it's literally on the UK government website. I will find it and send it to you, yeah, but they well, announced it augmented people. I wonder how they're going to do that. <laughs> do you suppose they're already doing it? <laughs> Voluntarily, of course. In any case, you know, there's, where's the consent here? You know, and also where is, where's God or, you know, nature, that, that divine master intelligence, what happened to that? And so. Well, let me go back to that because if Veda is in communication with water, mm -hmm. you, Missy, have your own back channels into nature, right? Okay. Yeah. So well, I, I find that astounding and amazing and incredibly congruent around you and so how does one even begin that conversation how does one say hey look I do want to communicate with the spirits of nature or like how, how do you even start go outside and start talking talk to your land. I mean, this is what, this is what I do. Uh, I have a screen door in my bedroom and when it's warm, sometimes when it's cold, you know, I'll go to just to my door when I wake up in the morning and I sing and I'm not a singer, <laughs> but I sing, I just like make up, I just make up a song, you know, and I just sing to my land and then I go outside and I go like this and I just offer it my heart's light. I just open myself entirely. And, and I just say thank you over and over. I mean, I can't stop saying thank you. I'm in just this state of just awe and wonder and gratitude. I, I love my land. This is my sanctuary. And, 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 and I planted these fruit trees and I water each tree individually, you know, because they're young and they need water. And I talk to each tree like it's my baby. And, and you know, they're responding. And my garden is responding, this place is amazing. And then the birds are calling to each other. So yeah, you come from that place because it's feeling you, it's sentient, it's feeling you. It can read your thoughts. It can tell sort of what your vibratory field is. And so when we can calm ourselves and, and be in this open state and just sort of very fluid, it, it, it responds. 
And so that's the first step. And then you can bring little offerings, which we did. We used to do it all the time, our ancestors, right? And so that would be whatever, honey or some seeds or some flour, what, whatever it is, right? But you'd bring, well, well, actually in Ireland, you'd bring milk or butter to the fairy folk. And, and you know, you'd leave the first milk out for, for them. And, and, and so, and, and this was done again, all over the world. Every culture had their way of delivering offerings to the local spirits or the genus loci. And, and, and so that's a start. And then I've been apprenticing myself to the mushroom teachers and I'm in my 10th year. And my whole approach to the mushrooms, it wasn't from a place of recreational whatever, and it wasn't from any kind of clinical or scientific. I, I had my first experience and it blew my mind. And I said, this is a portal. Oh my God, this is a portal. And this is an ancient intelligence. And I want to go back in and I want to learn. So, so I just go in there. And again, like an open heart, humble, seeking wisdom, seeking wisdom. That's what what would bring me back every single time. And then I found my way to these tutelary spirits. And then I became a channel and just happened. Although a good friend of mine said, that's in your DNA. That's gotta be in your lineage somewhere, you know, and it, it comes in through the mushroom. Well, it's like the guitar thing we were talking about. Some people can play the guitar. Some people can talk to mushrooms. You know what I mean? It's like people have different things, but I, but the, in permaculture, there is a word that they use a lot, which is being in right relation, okay? So relating in a way. And so at one level, that's really, really easy, right? Don't frack the land, don't poison the water, don't poison the air, right? Respect it, love it. Um, and the thing that gets interesting to me is when you talk about offerings, right, because because of this journey that I'm on, I want to be in right relation and I want to give gifts. And is there, because of your heritage, is there a lineage of gnosis about what offerings to make? Or is it really open your heart and love? You know, like, I mean, is it milk and honey and flowers and you know, like, how do you know what water wants? How do you know what mushrooms want? How do you know how do you know the gifts to give them? Ultimately, you said it. It's 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 about your heart. It, it your heart and mind in the right place, right? So so in other words, someone comes to you, you can tell if they're usually full of shit or or you know if they have integrity, if they really mean what they say, and and you can just tell, you can feel it. And so so can all of these sentient nature spirits. And, 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 and so what if you had nothing? We have to understand that, you know, we are everything and, and the light of our heart, that's, that's huge. And to be able to just open and give that, that it, it's, it's amazing. And, and then of course, it's lovely if you have a little honey or, you know, something you wanna offer or, you know, even some pretty flowers or something. I mean, that's wonderful. Ultimately, it's a gesture. It's a gesture. And so it's not like some little elf comes out and takes this thank you very much and then walks away. You know, 
but but it is you know the the the, the essence of the gesture and again the gesture could be you know just opening your heart to to that and sending your field outward and and they can feel that and of course if someone you know tells you how much they love you you know how good that feels and you would receive that yeah and and then of course we can use a pendulum or dowsing rods for yes no answers and so you can go to your tomato plants and you know use your pendulum and and you know ask you know do you need any more water yes no are you good to go yes no you do, do that well i don't because i i i don't have you just to know yeah exactly. i, I can yeah. sense yeah yeah, yeah. but but yeah. you know if there were a problem with a tree or something yeah. you know i would ask some questions you know are you missing nutrients or is this a pest or is this a fungus or is this i mean at some point you'd be able to recognize that yeah yeah but still i oh, my grandmother was my grandmother had a little block of land i mean it was like a quarter acre i think every house was on a quarter acre and she had enough food fruits and vegetables and salad and enough animals in the forms of chickens and eggs on that land to sustain probably, I don't even know, maybe the block, I don't know, but also in the front, a rose garden to end all rose gardens, right? So she had this green thumb majestic ability to work, grow food, you know, and, and within one, like, so that was my grandmother. My mother couldn't do it. I, I have no hope, right? Like to, to, if I needed today just to provide food for my family on the land that I am here, we would starve, you know, it's just amazing how quickly the, the, the knowledge has left us. I would say also though, it's amazing how quickly it can come back. Okay. Truly, truly, truly. Yeah, no, seriously, because I, I lived in New York in my 20s and I thought I'm never going to leave. I love New York so much. Now there is no, there's no number on this earth that you could pay me to ever live there ever again, especially now. So uh, in any case, so I come out here and I always joke, it's like, at least our age will get it. It's like Gidget does a garden, you know, I'm like, it's just, I, last year totally got away from me. And uh but I'm like, I'm gonna figure this out and I need help and please, you know, spirits be patient with me, but show me as well and guide me and I'll get sort of impulse. Like you gotta plant this, do this, do this to the soil, you know? And, and, uh, and, and we all have that ability though. And, and we're in dire straits right now and we're in a spiritual battle and this is a battle on biology. And, and so, you know, I think these guys want to turn this whole place into a parking lot with a bunch of robots really is like what they're hoping. And so I tell you, I have never in my life, it's like, don't know what you've got till it's gone. Like I have such appreciation for nature and I just can't stop saying thank you. And I just keep feeling like I'm almost on borrowed time right now, you know? And, and so, um, and I can feel it opening its arms to me as, and it, it, you know, it loves us. We're, we're really made to think that we're such a cancer on this, on this planet. And there's definitely people who, you know, are doing great harm, but, you know, 
I think, you know, most people are really good eggs and, and they just want to live a good life. And, and we can reclaim this knowledge. It's, it's out there. And I find also herbs have been, you know, coming in and I'm going to be making my own tinctures now. Like all this information is out there. You know, you need alcohol, just make sure it's not GMO. So, you know, decent organic alcohol, uh, uh, vodka and, and whatever herb. And, and you, know, you can look this stuff up on YouTube or whatever and then make it on a new moon because that's when it's very expansive and it will draw out the, the constituents from the herb. And, you know, you just follow the instructions. It's alchemy, really- girl. You're doing alchemy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, but it's just... Yeah, and, and, and that's also, I, I not only want to grow my own food, but I want to grow as much medicine as I possibly can. Now, ultimately, the subject of our talk today is, you know, the ultimate sunlight and water. Like, I don't think it's rocket science. And I think essentially what these guys have done is they have put a commercial overlay over the living, the world of the living and then convinced people over the course of the 20th century, oh, no, no, you don't want to use baking soda and white vinegar. That's so 1920s. No, you want these chemicals, you know, better living with chemicals. I think that was actually, you know, a slogan. <laughs> so people got gradually taken in through the propaganda of all of that and all the big sales jobs they were doing with all of that. And they, they abandoned these traditional wisdoms. And here we are today in the mess we're in. I just read a book by an Australian indigenous man and he has gone through the system. He's a doctor, right? Um, I'm not sure a doctor, but I'll actually, I'll put the book in the, the notes because it was one of the most profound books that I've ever read. And he is talking about how today we live to work so that we can get a car, so that we can get a house, so that we can go out to eat. And we've got no time, literally no time. And so that we have money to buy these things, right? And he's like, uh, and that's civilization. That's, that's, that's the goal. And he's like, the way we used to live, we used to like work two hours a day maybe to get everything we need, whether it was hunting or gathering, or if we needed to build a new cover or whether we needed to move to a new part of the land. But two hours a day was dedicated to the same idea of doing the things that you have to do. And the rest of the time was for play, for study, for connecting, for relating, for enjoying for talking right and and he's standing over there saying how come you're falling for this how come like this is we used to work two hours a day and had everything in abundance the the streams were so full of fish the land was so full of food there, there was never, you know, they, they say they try to paint the picture of it. It was a hard life and, you know, it was struggle and survival. He's like, no, it was a beautiful life full of abundance and everything that we wanted. And now this is what you want is like the insanity. Like even remember our box, our paradigm, our paradigm 
is so messed up, so incredibly messed up that even by me buying water from Iceland because I want to have good water because I understand the value of water is so fucked up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's like you, you buying, I'm buying a friggin' red light instead of going in the freaking sunshine right mm -hmm. like we are so messed up we are so far so far yeah. <laughs> it's ironic sweetie yeah oh yeah it's there's ironic. a lot of irony going around <laughs> i want to rewrite the words too you know that isn't an ironic song you know what i mean oh, yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. i reckon <laughs> there's a whole new set of lyrics but you 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 are a you are an example right i mean you are in relationship with the land you are in relationship with the mushroom you have done miracles or miracles have happened to you in your life right and i think out of everything that the most important thing that you are an example of is somebody that has meaning and I think meaning is what is lack of meaning is what's killing is what's killing us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're turning our attention to the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. have it, girl. I mean, you're doing it. You're living meaning. You're meaning in action. And it's just it's remarkable. I feel blessed to know you. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. The feeling is so mutual. <laughs> But yeah. I mean, but you know, look, I'm, here's what, here's what I'm doing. I'm hopefully bringing your story to people. Do you know what I mean? And that's so meaningful to me, but I mean, you're living the, you're living the way, you know, the, the, the Tao of it. And it's just beautiful. Well, thank you. I really, uh, I am, I find like our modern society, just deplorable, I have to say, you know, and, and so I have sort of over time, like remove myself, remove myself, remove myself as best I, yeah. I can. Yeah. Um, and I don't listen to representatives of multinational for-profit corporations all about the bottom line and you know, I don't listen to those people. I listen to, I call it God, whatever you want to call that force. Well, and the many representations under God, you know, <laughs> the, the many nature spirits, the elementals, the different beauty races is how I think of them, you know, who inform, uh, who once said when I was on the mushroom to a friend, we are not informed, but we can inform. So how they love to play with words. And so, <laughs> and so That's they what do. Veda says, Veda talks about, Veda talks about water as informed water. So the part that does the pictures mm -hmm. is informed. Mm. right uh -huh. so that's so interesting right I'm like oh there's all these little synchronicities it's just amazing can you tell the difference between a deva and a fairy and a and a sprite and a I mean do you have a sense of these different races 
I, I do, but I can't really explain it. Like when I'm in the medicine, there's all these different beings that want to come through and speak. And initially, so when I go in and I can feel all this energy goes up my spine and then my hands go into spontaneous mudras. And then I make this just wild sound and I, I, I wouldn't do it now, I wouldn't dare, but I can't really do it. But it is initially like, like the fairy, but it's not in English, it's these very strange sounds. And then at some point, the gnomes come through and, and I saw a picture, I was reading something about Paracelsus and, and, and he was talking about the, you know, the sylphs of the air and the gnomes of the earth and the salamanders of the fire and the sylphs of the air. Is that right? No, the uh, uh, um, undines of the water. In any case, there was a picture of the gnomes and I was like, oh my, oh, I sent it to you. I was like, oh, I know those guys. Those are the guys that come through first. And they're short and they're sort of bearded, you know, they're little toothless, they stroke their beards. And they've got these long, long arms, these long hands, you know, and they're kind of like, <laughs> anyway. And then it's very strange the way they sound and you have heard them, but I thought it would be too weird even for Magical Egypt uh, to air that. But in any case, yeah, so they come through first and, and so they're very distinctive. And uh, yeah, and then the she, S-I-D-H-E, which is the Irish word for fairy will, speak to me and then the the elfin i don't know there's there's well there, there's a frequency signature that each group has and i just know and so that's the thing like this thing is not it's not like really sort of cut and dry and oh yeah so then they come in and they're dressed this way i actually don't see them clairvoyantly but i feel them and so and then i you know i'm a knower they call me daughter who knows, not daughter who knows everything, by the way, but a knower is like, a, you know, for sure. But it's, uh, the more I know, the less I realize, you know, the more I realize it. anyway, I feel like ignorance is just jaw dropping. But in any case, um, but I'm a knower, I'm a seer, you know, so you just know things. So, and, and they want us to wake up and also to know that, you know, that we're loved and they understand we're under a spell. This is a thing. They, they understand we're un this is, this is heavy mind control and sorcery. I mean, they're using everything they've got to steep people in fear. And I think so that also people don't miss the window. Cause I think we're in a kind of window. I do where the veil's very thin and there are opportunities here to take a big leap, a big leap, uh, a true biological leap, not their idea of a leap. I, I, I like my biology. I think it is absolute genius. I think this body is living genius and the immune system is just extra. I mean, what this thing can do, yeah, that's the thing I've been saying this for you. I'm like, why are we tapping in more into, you know, what this exactly is? I mean, my late teacher, Brew Joy, was a Johns Hopkins trained MD. And he said something like once, he said, we understand maybe 1% of what this is. Like we've got all this sort of fancy science, but like, it's a mystery. It's a living mystery. There's way, way, way more to this and there's this mind body complex. Look, Veda, Veda calls us bodies of water. 
And I made the joke that we're humans, we're water having a human experience. Right? I love that. <laughs> but you know, like we don't really, we don't have any idea, you know, and the ancient Egyptians, uh, was it, no, it was Plato. Uh, no, was it Hermes? Or, I don't know. One of them were like, we're gods. We are gods and we've just forgotten our nature. We need to move towards our God nature, right? So yes, we've forgotten. Now, when you were talking about that story in Egypt, I think this was very interesting about the water and, and devising the sigil because there is a man named Christopher Warnock W-A-R-N-O-C-K. And he's got a website on Hellenist, Hellenic astrology. Okay. And, and he's got a whole thing on talismans. And what is so fascinating is back in the day, these mad magicians, magis, they, of course, were astrologists as well. And so if you wanted to create a sigil, say for financial abundance, you would look at the upcoming transits just as when each of us is born we are the physical manifestation of the magnetics of those particular you know relational planets they were in that particular position out we come and so you want to do a talisman for financial prosperity great okay where do we have the the planetary lineups upcoming where we would have the perfect moment for incredible financial, like that would be the moment. And then they would, they would have that time and they would cast a talisman for the next 18 minutes or whatever that was, as many bronze talismans as they could. And they would hold that, that frequency. Capture, yes. Yes, and the same for healing. And, and so then they would then drop the talisman in the water and then the water would pick up the charge of talisman and then you drink that, similar to what they were doing in, in Egypt. So in other words, yeah, we've got this commercial overlay and it's so shitty, like compared to the true magic if you want to use that word, you know, of, of what we're in, we, we are a living mystery. We're part of a living mystery. And this entire thing is sentient and it's electromagnetic and it will respond. This is why the law of attraction is so important. You know, the way we think, and of course, being mostly water, it would be very important to think, you know, get our thoughts under control. And, That's and what Veda is finding is that she used to be asking questions of water. Like, what are you going to do if I put you on a photo, right? But now, now she's at the point of what you show me, <laughs> what you want to do, right? It's much more organic. And it's kind of like, I'm, I'm here to be your voice, right? And I mean, if you think about it, if water was a conscious being and water wanted to work the land, water would need us to do that to create something like that right water can't water needs a physical container to do these things right and so we don't know we we think that we're the top of the tree that we're the smartest you know uh thing that exists but maybe water just made us to be a tool for it possibly it's a mystery it's a myth. <laughs> 
Well, sweetie, I think we should end it there before the video blows up. But I want to say thank you so much. That was a beautiful conversation. I always love talking to you so much, Anna. Well, I mean, we have to do the more. Yes, I know. Well, we both just got so busy. And, uh, but yeah, I would love to do these once a month. Well, say goodbye to our lovely audience. Thank you so much for being with us. And we'll look forward to seeing you again next time. Absolutely. Thank you, guys.